The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. We are in the book of Ephesians. If you are joining us today, welcome. My name is Ryan and I am your pastor. And I am super excited to kick off a new series called Know Who You Are. And in case you're wondering, yes, I absolutely got that sermon series title from the movie Moana. It's just the reality of life as a Disney dad. You see a movie enough times and you start thinking, I like that concept. Now, the book of Ephesians, uh, as we get into it today, today is going to be a little bit different than a normal Sunday because there's going to be some teaching mixed in with the preaching and an overview of the book. I want you guys today, though, to begin thinking about your life in the lens of God. Now, the way you see other people and the way you see yourself really changes everything. I remember uh, it was only probably six months ago that I was in the back. I never used to wear these. And I was in the back, and I was complaining to our tech director week after week, hey, man, can you get the projector in focus so I can see the words? And I kept saying, is there something we could do about the focus of this projector? Because I couldn't see from the back. And then one day he said, I I think you might have uh, something wrong with your eyes, like an astigmatism or something. I said, no, my eyes are perfect in Jesus' name. And he literally said, just just look through my glasses because it's a mild prescription. And all of a sudden, what was in standard definition once again became high definition. And I don't need them for, I could, I could kind of, well, I can't really read that as well. But, but generally, I can see things close up. I don't wear them when I read, but it changed my world. And these are just a mild, long-distance issue. But some of you guys, I mean, oh, here's Dave. So, okay, Dave, let me see your glasses. Let me borrow your glasses, Dave. So if I, if I were to just throw on Dave's glasses... Whoa. You guys, we need to pray for healing for Dave in Jesus' name. You know, you should never sing. I, you should never sing that song, I once was blind and now I see. You should never. You wait till heaven to sing that one, okay? Because, because what we see changes our perception of everything. And in this series on Ephesians, it's called Know Who You Are because so often I think Christians forget who we are. On the board, you'll see in the back of the lobby, there's a brand new drawing. And up behind me, you'll see that there's these titles. And each week, there's going to be a new identity statement of who you are created to be, whether or not you know it. If you are in Jesus, you should be able to today say, I am a saint. So I want you to, to say it out loud and say, I am a saint. Now look to the person next to you and say, you are a saint. And I know some of you just lied, but that's okay. It's Mother's Day. What I need us to begin thinking, though, we need to get rid of the stinking thinking that says we're just going to tear ourselves down. We need to embrace the reality in God's word. There's this big concept in theology called the already not yet. Because some of us, let's be honest, do not feel like a saint. Some of us today on Mother's Day have already let down our moms or our spouses. Some of us already burnt the eggs, overcooked the coffee, and said dumb things. Hypothetically, some of us still have these issues and they make us feel dirty and guilty and ashamed. Yet every one of Paul's letters nearly begins with this same phrase. He calls the people saints. 
Today, we're going to read just the first two verses, and we're going to work through Ephesians verse by verse through the entire book. We're going to be camping out here until October, and we're going to do two things in this series. One is look at your identity in Christ through each of these passages. Look at the different things that you are in him. And then also, we're going to take this as a time to learn how to study the Bible in new and engaging ways for your brain. So let us pray, uh, and then we will read God's word and jump in. Lord, I thank you for the spirit of worship that's here. God, help us to have eyes that can see as you see. Help us to have hearts that can believe who we are in Jesus. Help us to put away the notions that sainthood is only for someone else that is far better than us. Help us to know the truth about what it means to be one of your saints, one of your followers, one of your people. God, empower us to see your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the only verses today. These are the only verses we're getting through. This is how you know it's going to be a long series. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. Here's what it says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's it. This is what we're unpacking all day. And I am absolutely in love with it. Now, if you want to read how this Ephesians book gets started, you have to know that Paul went and visited the church in Ephesus. You can read about that in Acts chapter 19. He lived there for almost two years, and Paul did such an amazing job at leading people to Jesus, he disrupted the economy of worship of other gods because Ephesus was a hub, a center for worshiping the Greek and Roman gods. So when, Jesus, when Paul went in and started sharing the gospel, so many people were turning to Jesus, they stopped buying the idols to the gods of Artemis, to the gods of Apollo and Zeus. They stopped buying them to such a degree that these idol smiths began to lose business. And if you want to make anybody angry, start messing with their money, right? And all of a sudden they rioted. And Paul, as he was, wanted to engage, but, but he didn't. He, he ended up pre- preaching the gospel and then he moved on. Later in his life, he was imprisoned in Rome and that is where he is writing this book of Ephesians. He is in prison, writing to encourage the churches he's visited, And this is one of my favorite letters. So we're going to do an overview of the entire book. And one of the things we have to get right from the beginning is that Ephesians is six chapters. How many chapters? Six chapters. Okay. You can read it if you read at conversational speed in give or take 30 to 40 minutes. How long does it take, give or take? 30 to 40 minutes. That means you can read this book once a week, every week. And it would be less than watching one of your one-hour-long shows without commercials. And I promise you, this book will change your life more than watching reruns of Jerry Seinfeld or Bones. Okay? Okay. Just so we're clear. Now, Ephesians is broken up into two main parts. And this is where it's a little different. Normally, I just love to preach, but we need to do some teaching to lay the foundation for this whole series. It's two main parts. The first part is the gospel. The second part is what the gospel does if it is in your life. We call this the indicatives and the imperatives, what has been done for you and what you do now that you have Jesus in you. And it is marked by a therefore. If you ever come across a therefore in the Bible, the question you should ask is, what is it there for? And it's always a transition. So the first three chapters are Paul laying out this case for what Jesus has done, for who you are. It uses some words that terrify Christians. And it uses some words that make non-believers scratch their heads. So as we work through this, no matter where you are in your journey, if you're new in the faith, not yet in the faith, or if you're seasoned in the faith, just be prepared. If you're a 
free will Baptist, be prepared. The word predestined shows up in this book. So I will use the word predestined. I'm going to use the word adoption. We're going to call you saints and beloved and blessed. We're going to begin to unpack the purpose that God has for you. And it's far grander than just sitting in rows listening to a lanky guy tell jokes. The purpose that God has for you is cosmic and divine and rooted in what happens in the first three chapters. And then that switch happens. One to three is this is what Jesus has done. He's brought together this huge family of Jewish people and non-Jewish people. He's died for you. He's raised you up. You have every spiritual blessing. You're adopted and loved beyond what you can know. And therefore, if you have all that, therefore, stop stealing. Stop getting drunk. Stop being a bad husband or an angry wife. Kids, obey your parents. Amen? Just checking to see which parents are with me. Don't gossip, but build up with your words. So if you have the gospel in your heart, your life will look like this. We call it the head, heart, and hand. Head is what you know. The heart is your beliefs and your passions, what you are captivated about. If you get your head and your heart lined up on all that God has done for you, then your hands, what you do, begins to change. If your life doesn't look any different from before you knew Jesus to after you knew Jesus, then you might not have met Jesus. And just think about it in simple terms. Did your life change when you met your spouse? Hopefully radically. If it didn't change, then, then your spouse is just a ticking time bomb who is about to blow any day. Because what happens when you get married is all of a sudden you have to give up some things that you valued because your spouse doesn't value them. And selfishness begins to get revealed that you never knew existed. And when you have kids, it gets even worse. Because at least with your spouse, you can just walk out of the room and they still live. If you walk out on your year, one-year-old kid, they die. Like, you've got to stick around. Now, the, the doing part is the hard part of Christianity. And at the chapel, I want you to always know that we have to get the order correct. There's a reason that Ephesians 1 to 3 is all grace, all gospel, all what God has done. And he wants us to know that first. Because in religion, we get it backwards 99% of the time. So many people, so many of you come to a church gathering thinking, if I just do enough right things, then God will love me. I want to tell you right now today, God loves you not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus did. And this is why Paul can start his book and say, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Now there's a concept in the Bible called meditating on scripture. Now I know some of you who grew up maybe in a different denomination may be thinking like, wait, meditating, I've heard this, this is not good. So I'm just going to tell you it's actually in the Bible. It is uh, in Psalm 1, one of my favorite psalms. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, on this book, he meditates day and night. Now meditation in the Christian sense is not clearing your mind of everything. So for those of you who like that, I'm okay with taking a break and clearing your mind. I do that every day. It's called locking myself in my bathroom or closet. Okay, that's where I clear my mind because I've got children. And even with children, there is no peace. For those of you mothers today, um, I, I really do sympathize for you. Dads, your only job today is to let your wives lock themselves in a room and prevent your kids from sticking their fingers under the doors like little demonic hordes, okay? Just get them away. Just shoo them, put some raid down there or something, some sort of a cayenne pepper sauce, okay? Just let the wives be free. By the way, free pass today. If you're a mom, if you're exhausted, sleep during my sermon. Won't be offended, okay? Uh, I will take pictures of you, but I won't be offended. So, so this, this concept, though, 
this concept of meditating on Scripture, it's not just clearing your mind. I'm not a fan of that because my mind is filled with so much garbage from my life. I don't want to clear my mind because things will jump back in it. What I want to do is I want to push out all the worry, push out all the anxiety, and you don't just push something out by thinking, push it out, push it out, push it out. Right? We all know that thing. If I say, hey, nobody think of a giant purple elephant. You guys are like, oh, you got me. Some of you were actually good at that, but most of you were like, oh, purple elephant. What you want to do is you want to expel, you want to push out the stuff of life with the power of God's word. So I'm going to show you guys how I study the Bible. This is how I study the Bible every single day. I meditate on scripture. So if we could just have that scripture up on here. Now, this is going to sound weird maybe, but this is what I like to do to meditate on scripture. This is how I start every sermon. This is how I prepare on my own heart with my individual devotions in the mornings and evenings. I do this once we get it up there. I start to emphasize and de-emphasize words, and I will remove words to find out their importance. So I might start off by just reading it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Okay, I'm going to stop there. Paul, okay, I know who wrote it. We talked about that. An apostle of Christ Jesus. He was called, and he's sent out by Christ Jesus. Now, Christ means Messiah, anointed one. That's not Jesus' last name, in case you didn't know that. So it's his title. I am the anointed, Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the guy from Nazareth, walked on water, stole the kid's lunchbox, made a big meal, that, that guy. So Paul is an apostle, a sent one, by the will of God. So, so who, who is it that sends him? Paul sends him. Now, to the saints who are in Ephesus, not just to the people, to the saints. To the saints who are at the chapel at Fishhawk. When I had you guys say, I am a saint, it's because I mean it. If your faith and trust is in Jesus, you are a saint of God. Now, if you grew up in a, a Catholic background, or maybe you came from a Presbyterian church or an Episcopal church, sort of a Catholic light, um, you might be thinking, wait a second, I am not a saint. I know what a saint is. Uh, Mother Teresa was a saint. Mother Teresa was made a saint on September 4th, 2016. She was canonized as a saint. Now, if you came from the Catholic tradition, uh, you may or may not know this, but here's what you have to do to become a saint. First, you have to be a Roman Catholic. Second, you have to live an exemplary life that is pious and devout and virtuous. Third, you have to have two confirmed miracles. Now, I don't know how they confirm the miracles, like somebody has to see them, witness reports. If you do one miracle, you're called blessed, which is why she, before she passed, was called uh, the Blessed Mother Teresa. If you do two confirmed miracles, and then you die, and then up to five years after your death, the church will have an investigation to make sure the miracles are correct, and then boom, sainthood. And once you're a saint, churches can be named after you, schools can be named after you, you can have special holy days in your honor. Now, this is what the Catholic Church calls saints. But Paul, in the book of Ephesians, says to the saints who are in Ephesus, this is the living people. So who are saints according to the book of Ephesians? We're going to find out later on that saints were people who were still struggling with stealing. So Paul had to remind them, hey, if Jesus is in you, don't steal. He'll give you all you provide so you don't have to keep taking from others what is not yours. Saints in the church of Ephesus were people who were still having drinking issues. Because Paul had to say, hey, stop getting drunk on non-alcoholic wine, you guys, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Stop getting filled with something that is taking your mind away and be filled with what God has given you, which is vastly more powerful. Now, this isn't saying, like, don't drink, because in another book, Paul tells Timothy, drink a little bit of wine for your tummy, little guy. But in this book, he's letting them know, hey, you saints, you're still, you haven't gotten the full thing. But he never does it just as a command, like, I'm going to beat you over the head with this command. He says, don't drink, because now, instead, we have the Holy Spirit. 
Don't steal. God has provided all that you need in the church. Don't gossip and slander, but instead build up as Jesus built you up. Jesus didn't slander against us, although he could have. Instead, he laid down his life so that he could speak only words of kindness and love. This is what God calls us to in this book of Ephesians, this wrestle. But you, friends and family, are saints. Next time you're about to fly off the handle, remind yourself, I'm a saint of God. Next time you're struggling to get three kids in the van and one kid just took out the Cheez-Its, crunched them up into a powder and sprayed them all over the middle section right after they were vacuumed for Mother's Day, remind yourself before you say anything, I think the pastor said I'm a saint. I'm a saint. When you are at school and you're, you're failing miserably on that test and you're so tempted to use your glasses as a reflective surface or Google the answer under your desk, remind yourself, I am a saint. Even if I get an F, Jesus will still love me. Even if my kids spray Cheez-It crumbs on the back of my newly dyed and washed hair, Jesus loves them. I may not at the moment. Remember who you are. Too, so often, forgetting who you are is the root That's why Paul starts out his letters to the saints. Because we have to start with who we are according to God. We have to start to see ourselves for who we were created to be and for how loved we are. Because when we forget the fundamentals of of the Christian faith, that you are a saint of God, everything begins to unravel and fall apart. Some of you in here have a habit of beating yourselves up. Some of you in here have a habit of, of saying, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I will never measure up. And you're, you're already starting out the dialogue of your life toward a negative trajectory. You're already starting out the dialogue of your life. The overarching banner of your life is already pushing you in a bad direction. Instead of saying, no, I'm, I'm a saint of God. I am so loved that, that God would send his son to die for me. That's how valuable I am to God the Father. That begins to change everything. It changes the way you parent. It changes the way you study. It changes the way you work. It changes the way that you can let people slight you and not slight them back. Loving your enemy, I think, is impossible without Jesus inside of us. It is a hard, hard thing to love someone who is constantly against you. And when I say love, I don't just mean put on the exterior candy coating of love. I mean like deep in the soul when someone comes at you to have a heart that yearns to say, man, I just love them and I'm for them even though they're against me. This is the supernatural kind of living that begins with the understanding that you are a saint not because of what you've done for God, but because of what Jesus has done for you. And it is difficult. It requires taking off old glasses at times and putting on different ones. It requires being able to see when you're looking through a wrong lens of life. Paul calls the Corinthian church saints when he opens his letter to them. A church that was getting drunk a church that was using sex to other beings, other god deities as an act of worship, a church where there was some crazy other relationships going on, a church where the rich were taking all the communion stuff before the poor got a chance to get in there. And Paul calls them saints. That's how I know Paul can call you guys saints. Because he sees God's love in ways that we often forget. Now, the, the very important verse in here, and if you've ever received an email me, chances are likely that you've seen this. Verse 2 says, Grace to you 
and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what I do. When I'm reading a passage like this, first I'll say, okay, Paul, an apostle, he's a sent one of Jesus. He's a sent one of Christ Jesus, and it's by the will of God. It's not by the will of Paul. It's not by the will of a church. It's by the will of God. You are all connected by the will of God to go out and be something. And we're going to get to that later in this series. To the saints. Okay, so we're all saints. If I took out saints, it would just say to those who are in Ephesus. But Paul wants to emphasize, no, there are saints in Ephesus. In this epicenter of wrong worship, God has people. And those people are faithful in Christ. Now, faithful here does not really mean dependable. It means full of faith. It means you have trust in Jesus that he did something for you that you could never do for yourself. So these saints are people who are full of faith in Jesus. And then it says these two words. And if, like I said, if you ever got an email from me, it says grace to you and peace from God our Father. And I do a lot of my emails, grace and peace. And it's not by accident. It's not because I just think they're cool Jesus-y words. It's because I want to send off in every message this idea of grace, which is God has given you something you don't deserve, and peace, which is the fruit of what God puts in your life. Grace is Ephesians 1 to 3. That's the foundation of grace. But that grace then continues all the way through Ephesians 6. Peace is the result of what it is like to have God in your life, to begin to see that you are a saint, that you are beloved, that you are adopted, that you are called, that you have a purpose that is bigger and brighter and beyond what you could possibly imagine, that you are loved and you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, that you are strong and God will gird you with his armor, that you are wise because the spirit of all wisdom dwells within you if you are full of faith in Christ Jesus. You get grace that is coming to you and you get peace that is coming from God. I would love some peace. I tell uh, my kids, is Jackson in here today? <laughs> Jackson, what does daddy want in life? What is the thing that I want? Peace. I just want a little bit of peace, you guys. Today is Mother's Day. It's a day where we pretend for a hot three seconds that the moms are going to get any peace. Now, some of the moms will. I, I envy you empty nester moms. I mean, I just, I'm looking forward to the day when I can kick all my kids out, when they're grown-ups. Don't be afraid, buddy. When, when you're grown-up and you want to go. Because I, I don't see peace. I, I talked to some moms in the hallway, and I said, hey, is your Mother's Day going great? Has it just been refreshing? And you can already see just the lines of red blood rage running through the whites of their eyes. So I just say, there's, there's chocolate over there. And I, and I walk away. I don't, that's my only move. I just throw chocolate at moms. Like, Get away. I don't know. We want the peace. And the peace that the Bible is talking about is not just absence of conflict. Peace carried with it, especially coming out of the Jewish trajectory, this idea of uh, what is called shalom. It is not just absence of conflict. It is everything is working as it should work. Now imagine if we just had that for one hour. If everything worked as it should work on a Mother's Day. If you only said one time, hey kids, could you go pick up that stuff? And they just said, yes, mother. And they just pranced over like a fairy and magic dust fell on their heads and they cleaned everything up. 
If the mothers could say to their husbands just one time, hey, sweetie, the trash is getting full. And for the first time in all of history, we actually understand what that means. It's called a hint, guys. Um, When they say the trash is getting full, it doesn't mean the trash is getting full. It means take out the trash. This is the code, right? When they say, hey, your clothes are on the ground, it's not a time to shrug and say, yep. It means pick up the clothes off the ground. Now, I know we don't get that because we're, we're dads, but peace would mean all of these things work together. Peace means the cogs are fitting together. And in the spiritual sense, peace here means your life is lining up not only with who you truly are, but you're actually beginning to see it. You're beginning to see that when you order a coffee at the shop where you have your favorite barista, that the person across from you is made in the image of God and you have the love of God in you. And at that moment, you are engaging with a cosmically created being, whether they know it or not. And you have an opportunity to speak life and truth and love and good news into their life. When, when God's peace, when all the cogs are fitting together and working perfectly, when you wake up in the morning, you say, I am a saint and I am blessed and I am loved and I am adopted. When you start your day with that, then when one person in your family or your coworker in your cubicle spills coffee on you, you're not starting off with a day that says, I, I'm having a bad day. No, it doesn't matter if coffee's on you because you're still adopted. God only adopts people who have messes all over them. That's the people he looks for. God looks for the people who are the broken ones. God looks for those of you who who are in high school or middle school, and all you're doing is craving the attention and approval of your peers. And, And I have a really bad news for you students. It actually never changes. You just get facial hair, and you get a little taller. And if you're a boy, your voice gets a little deeper But our culture puts this pressure on us to get the attention and eyeballs of others on us with newer cars, newer houses, shiny exterior. Now, I want you to to learn to do this in middle school and high school. Learn to wake up in the morning and see yourself as God sees you if you are in Jesus. Learn to wake up and say, wait, God loves me. It doesn't matter if any of these other fools love me. Don't say that. That's mean. It doesn't matter if any of these other people who God loves love me right now because I am loved by God. I am a saint, which means I am pure, I am clean, I am washed by God. In your darkest moments, you are still a saint. In the moment where you get a flat tire on your way to an appointment that you're 10 minutes late to, you are still a saint of God. God knows the words that will come out of your mouth. He is not caught off guard when you use bad words. He is not caught off guard when your anger flares up like a volcano. God knows what's happening. God knew who he would love and choose and bring into his family, and he calls you his saints. So as I'm going through this, I ask myself, why does Paul want me to have grace and peace? Why does he want me to know that it's from my Father? Because God is all-powerful, in control of everything, unshakable, unmovable. Your sainthood is not dependent on you. It's dependent on him. And when he puts the love of Jesus in you, your life will then begin to change. This is how I meditate on scripture. I get the verse in front of me. I have a whiteboard in my room, but since most of you won't have wives that tolerate that sort of foolishness, um, so I, I just print it out. I print out words, Paul the Apostle, of Christ, by the will, of God, and I just start writing notes, drinking coffee, praying, God, why did you have these words written here? Because you say that all scripture is breathed out by you and profitable for teaching, correction, reproof, and rebuke. All scripture is meant to pour into me, to train me up, to draw me to Jesus. So I want to know why every single word is there. And I want to meditate it 
day day and night, and I want to delight in it. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Christ. We have the law. We have grace and truth. And we have this opportunity that so often we let get dusty, which is why we're moving slowly through this book of Ephesians, which is why I'm going to zoom in so you can see that although Mother Teresa is recognized as a saint in the Catholic Church, you are recognized and a saint by the power and authority of Jesus Christ. And in case we need some clarification, it goes like Pope, Jesus, and then me. No, I'm just kidding. I don't do that. <laughs> I'm like way down there. But, but the spiritual authority of Jesus supersedes any church, every church, every pastor, any pastor. I don't, the, the whole thing of praying to saints, I understand where it comes from his, historically, but we don't have to. We can go straight to Jesus. It, it's like my kids. They don't go to the middleman. Silas doesn't ask Jackson, Jackson, can I have this? Because if Jackson goes to get him the candy bar, I can still say no. I am the sovereign mini demigod in my home. My wife is the God Maximus. Okay, just the, the overall encompassing, I'm not saying idolatry. We're saints above, under Jesus, okay? is how it works. But, but they don't go to middlemen. They, they come to us. You have the opportunity as a saint of God, and as we're going to learn in the weeks to come, a child of God, to go to your dad and say, Dad, this is what I need. I was speaking with someone this morning uh, about praying, and I told them, I said, my, my primary job as a pastor, I believe, is to pray for you. My primary job. This stuff, secondary. My primary job is to go before my dad and beg him every week that he would reach into your lives and show you who you are according to his love for you. So I labor in that, and I want you to begin to labor for one another in that. Because I can only pray for so many hours in a day, but you guys have common unions here, pockets, family, church family. You guys have people that you can, you can do this sort of stuff with. This meditating on scripture, it's easy. I'm going to start putting out videos. Just, here's how I do it. I do this. I underline this. I circle that. I want God's word to be in me so that when I pray, I can pray back God's heart to him. I want God's word to be in me so that when I read these words, I can begin linking it to other verses. I want to get books, Jesus-centered, God-focused books so that I understand these concepts of what it means to be adopted by a cosmic divine creator and a king. Because if he's a king and you're adopted, what does that make you? A princess. All the girls go, bing! Guys, you're princes, co-heirs with Christ. I don't know if we get a sword, but if we do, I get one of those two-handed, sort of a Braveheart-looking ones. So this is who we are today, a saint. As we continue in this series... I want you to think about the identities that you're waking up and telling yourself that you are. It is good that you are a husband and a worker and a student, but I want you to begin your days with who God sees you as. So this week, remind yourself that you are a saint, not by your effort, but by the blood of Jesus. You are a saint, not by your works, but by his works. You are a saint, whether it's your worst day or your best day. You are a saint, whether things are going well or nothing is going well. And you are a saint with whom inevitably God will begin working his shalom peace into your life, culminating, of course, when we meet him face to face. So saints, let us pray and continue our service. Father.
You are good. You are good. And the way that you save us is so mind-blowing that you would call weary, broken people and you would make them saints, that you would make us heirs, that you would call us sons and daughters. It, it's, uh, sometimes it's almost too much to even bear and handle that you could love us while we were yet sinners. And then that you would give us power to overcome the things that plague our lives. God, I pray for those in here who are addicted and attached to broken identities. I pray that, that there would be people in here who would rise above where they currently are to no longer just view themselves as, as broken husbands or bad dads or rebellious kids, but that we would rise up and, and see who you've called and created and saved us and are now filling us to be. This week, help us understand what it means to be a saint. To be one that walks blamelessly before you. Thank you that Jesus would give us this amazing gift. Help us to see it this week. In his name we pray. Amen.